What's up, everyone? Welcome to another episode of Finance Simplified, the official podcast for street fins. We're here to break down the world of finance for you to understand from a relatable perspective with discussions with experts. My name is Rohan, and this is episode 36. I'm joined today by my co-host, Alex. How have you been since our last episode? I've been doing well. I'm in the last few days of my internship, and I'm looking forward to seeing family soon. Yeah, I recently wrapped up my internship with the endowment for the summer, but we'll be continuing to work with them this upcoming fall semester. Definitely looking forward to it and the new school year. So Alex, this is part two of our conversation with David Blood on simplifying sustainable investing. What did we cover in part one? In part one, we covered David's background, the basics of sustainable investing, how it compares to traditional ideas of investing, and much more. We'll be getting more into David's sustainable investing framework, how he views shareholder activism, his thoughts on careers in the space, and much more. Additionally, if you're enjoying our episodes, we'd be thrilled if you could let us know by following us on whatever platform you're listening to us on and supporting us with the rating and review on Apple Podcasts. If you're tuning in on Spotify, we've posted some questions with this episode that you should see on Spotify that we'd love for you to answer as it will help us improve our future episodes. Get in touch with us to let us know how we're doing and what you'd like to see from us going forward. Also, because Alex and I are starting our school years fairly soon, this episode will likely be the last one for a couple of months. However, we'd love to get your suggestions on topics you'd like to see us cover next or potential guests you'd like for us to have on. Now, let's continue simplifying sustainable investing. Welcome to Finance Simplified, the official podcast for StreetFins created by students that simplifies the seemingly complex and confusing world of money. We're your hosts, Rohan and Alex. Yeah, that's a really good point. And I actually kind of want to pivot a little bit from different themes and specific investments to maybe asset classes. And within sustainable investing, do you think there's a particular type of investment that tend to produce the best returns? Maybe it's equity, bonds, credit, or maybe a different, you know, kind of sector allocation, solar, wind, nuclear, governance? Well, again, I think it's important to say we don't think sustainable investing is different from investing. So we think that all investing should use a framework that we've, we've talked about. And therefore, all asset classes should, and sustainability is relevant to all asset classes, ranging from public equities to real estate to infrastructure to, of course, private equity and fixed income, including government bonds, for that matter. So we don't think of sustainability, as I said, sometimes people think of sustainability as an industry. People will say, well, what are you doing about people who are criticizing your industry? And I don't know how to answer that question because I consider the industry that we work in as the investment industry. And there's plenty of criticism that's due the investment industry, but I don't understand the question of, well, how do you respond to the challenges of the ESG industry? The ESG industry is, doesn't exist. What exists is a framework on understanding the long-term success of economies and businesses and the tools you need to, to assess that. And when people come to interview at Generation, what I've always said to folks is, if you don't believe this investment framework of long-term investing, sustainability as a driver of economies and ESG as tools to better understand the quality of business, the quality of management. If you don't believe that that will make you a better investor, whether it be a private investor or a public investor, don't come because we do believe 
that that is our edge. We do believe that that will ultimately deliver better risk-adjusted investment results for our clients. We don't believe we're imposing values on our portfolio. We don't believe that sustainability is a political movement. We don't recognize it as being woke, et cetera. We invest, we believe it is an economic framework to drive optimal economic and business and capital outcomes. Yeah. And kind of a follow-up on more specific investment to investment decisions. How do you view shareholder activism, especially when it comes to sustainable investing? Are you approaching an investment with perhaps defining certain investment terms on sustainability goals that should be reached by the underlying asset that you're investing in? Or do you perhaps think maybe a more passive approach is better and, and you just would rather monitor how a company is doing and performing on different metrics? Well, remember generations portfolios, both publicly and privately are quite concentrated. And so we're active owners of the businesses that we're investing in, but we're also quality oriented investors, again, both publicly and privately. And so we're not investing in businesses that we think are, are particularly challenged in sustainability and that we think that if we can improve their environmental footprint, that that will drive alpha. I guess that is a strategy one could deploy, but that's not what we're trying to do. We're trying to drive good businesses to make them better. Now, particularly in our private portfolios where some of the companies, and I noticed this, this was one of your questions, some of the companies are nascent and they're new to some of their people strategies or their broader environmental or climate change strategies or net zero strategies will certainly help them. And I think that's a tool and an expertise that we can bring to our private companies as well as our public companies for that matter. So engagement is critical and active ownership is critical. You could view engagement as a tool in and of itself, we view it as a tool to enhance the relationships we have with our investments. Definitely, that that makes sense. I want to ask a question that's perhaps more focused on the public side. You know, I came across a Harvard Business Review article, and basically these researchers had said that, quote, when managers underperform their earnings expectations, they often publicly talked about their focus on ESG. But when they exceeded earning expectations, they made few, if any, public statements related to ESG. Is this a concern for you that, you know, perhaps ESG is just being used to kind of deviate from perhaps bad earnings and then isn't really talked about when the times are good? Is this a concern? Well, look, you're asking an important question, Alex, and I think this comes back to the question around greenwashing and how are you really thinking about sustainability and ESG? What are you trying to accomplish? What is your end goal? Is it marketing? How are you reporting against it? Uh, Do you think it's serious? An investment firm has two strategies. They have their global equity strategy, and then they have their sustainable global equity strategy. That's a good clue as to whether they think it's a marketing initiative or whether they think it, it adds value. If a CEO or a business has a focus on their SRI or their corporate social responsibility, and they explain to us that that's really what their focus is or their sustainability report. We go visit them and they give us a very long sustainability report and explain how sustainable they are. That's not interesting to us. What's interesting is what is driving the long-term success of that business and 
if someone is using sustainability as sort of greenwashing or marketing fluff or as a way to sort of market themselves, we think the very best experts around sustainability and ESG will see right through that. And we certainly try to see right through it. So that's a long way of saying it doesn't bother us. We know that there's greenwashing. We would like to see much less of it, and we're going to work hard to raise standards and rigor within the sustainability discussions, but we're not fooled by statements around sustainability. We spent too much time on it. Remember when I said, if an investor who's potentially coming to generation doesn't believe that sustainability is going to add value, they shouldn't come. If a company, when a company asks me, well, what should we do? I basically say you should run your business for the long term and you should understand the long term drivers of your business, of which we are certain sustainability and ESG are drivers. If they don't see that, then they should not operate. They shouldn't try to deploy social responsibility because they think it's going to make us happy. They should do it because it's going to make their business better. Right. And, you know, you're talking about careers in the space. What are some of the kind of mistakes that you see most people making in their careers as sustainable investors early on if they choose to go into this type of investing? And is it the same as, you know, you're blending it with investment in general, like not separating it from sustainable investing? Or is there something more unique that in terms of the mistakes and sort of processes that people go through if they're looking for a career in this space? Well, you're right to say, is it different to investing? And the answer is no, it's not. It's investing. It's being a bit more holistic, of course. And I think a lot of business schools and, and programs, investing programs, there's still some confusion about whether sustainability and ESG is adding value. And we accept that. We, of course, believe that it does add value and therefore it should be integrated into how you think about deploying capital. The one thing I would say to folks who are in your shoes and thinking about joining investment firms that have a framework around sustainability and ESG is also be sure you recognize that those frameworks do include a traditional rigorous investment analysis. And as an example, well, gosh, just now 10 or 15 years ago when the first sort of green investment wave a number of investors began to just allocate capital to solar farms, for example, and, or the solar industry. And they didn't fully consider the, the broader economic implications of what drives a great business. And some, if a business has no barriers to entry, for example, but it has a great environmental impact, it may or may not be a great investment. It certainly will drive your pricing decisions. And so sustainability, sustainable investing, ESG investing must also include an understanding of what drives great businesses. And so it's, it's a blend, it's a mixture of, again, long-term investing, sustainability as a driver of economies, and sustain ESG are tools to help you understand the quality of business, quality of management within a rigorous traditional investment process. Yeah, I think that's very helpful. And I think that's going to be very applicable to especially students right now who are thinking about a career in investing, especially as ESG and sustainability continue to be at the forefront of a lot of investment firms across the whole financial industry. So that's very helpful. 
I do kind of want to pivot away from this focus on investing. And I just want to kind of get your opinion as someone who's, you know, not only a great investor, but also very knowledgeable on different political topics and sustainability. How would you describe our transition to a sustainable world right now? What do you see that we're doing right? And where do you see a lot of room for improvement? Well, one thing you just said a minute ago, you accused me of being a great investor. I am not. My colleagues are very good investors. I've been fortunate to be able to help build teams. And so I'm not going to claim I'm a great investor. But I have also been observers of how we're transitioning to a net zero and just world. And I would answer your question is to say that we're not moving fast enough and we're not recognizing the transformational change that we need. If we want to achieve a world that does not exceed 1.5 degrees C of increased temperature rise, and we're now at 1.1 degrees C, we are going to have to cut carbon emissions in half in the next seven and a half years. And that means that every single thing that we've done today will need to transformationally change such that we can decarbonize our economy in a way that also recognizes health, recognizes the environment, and of course, fairness and justice and equality. So these are really complicated questions that will require new tools, new ways of thinking. We think sustainability and ESG are those types of tools, but we're going to have to be transformational and we're going to have to do it very quickly. This is an urgent, urgent challenge that you all, as people who are students who are about to enter the finance community, this is going to impact you, how you allocate capital very directly for the next 10, 15, 20 years, 30 years of your career. So it's a good idea to be focused on it. And it's a good idea to learn as much as you can, because it is going to be directly relevant to how you invest. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's a point that's hopefully not being lost on our generation. Now, I am curious, what technologies, what sort of solutions do you see as being potentially very, very helpful in the fight against climate change? Do you see maybe solutions that aren't as proven, maybe very early stage, like carbon capture and storage? How do you kind of view that? Well, you know, often people look for, I think, silver bullets or a single sort of great idea. And there are investment firms, Breakthrough Energy Ventures, as an example, who are terrific and they're looking for these really interesting new technologies that will help move the needle on whether it be carbon capture or hydrogen, et cetera. But I would say it's also important to look at some of the business opportunities in the hard to abate sectors where there is proven technology already that needs to scale. And when we think about how do we get to a 1.5 degree C world, we would say we don't have enough capital being allocated to the problem and it's not going to the right industries or the right locations. And so we're focused on that more than what is the new technology that might get us there. When you think about all these new technologies, they're not going to help us cut carbon emissions in half in the next seven and a half years, most likely. They might, but Probably not. And so we need to use the tools that we have now to urgently transform industries and businesses, whether that be the steel industry, whether that be the broader energy industry, the built environment, 
mobility, agriculture. These are critical sectors of economies that need to fundamentally change very quickly and can change quickly. Yeah. And, you know, we're talking a lot about these industries. Now I kind of want to focus on the different countries. So what do you think is the status of like sustainability as it relates to countries like China, where most of the images out there are like these smokestacks and other countries that are arguably more focused on solely economic growth as opposed to sustainability right now? What's your sort of position on those right now? Well, again, they're all linked and we won't have a sustainable economy or a net zero economy unless we have a just transition. We must absolutely be allocating capital to solutions in China or India or Africa. We can't say that in the developed world, it's okay that we use coal and we invest into gas or oil because the Russians have closed off our pipelines and then say, but we're not going to finance energy in, in Africa. We need to have a better grasp of fairness and acknowledging that people matter and energy security matter, but that we can bring technologies to the broader emerging world or developing world that can decarbonize and we'll do it in a much more effective way. But we cannot have double standards. We can't have hypocrisy. We have to recognize that if we really wanna move the needle, it's going to be in places like China, India, and Africa, Latin America, Southeast Asia. This is where we're going to really need to, to address the challenges of capital, well, catalyzing capital and allocating capital. Yeah, that definitely makes sense as in terms of the mission of not having double standards and not being hypocritical about you can have sustainability in one place and not another. And yeah, I think that was a great response. So we're on to our last two final questions. So, you know, you're on the board of several climate and sustainability focused organizations outside of generation and outside of its portfolio companies. Would you like to tell the listeners about what some of those organizations and those groups that you're a part of? Well, I've been very fortunate to be a part of a number of not-for-profits in the past years, but the two that, well, there's three that I'm actively involved in now. One is a organization called On the Edge Conservation, which my wife, Beth, has founded, and it's about animal conservation and biodiversity. I'm also the co-chair of the World Resource Institute, and the reason why I'm very excited about the work that WRI does, and it's quite a large organization that's global, and it focuses both on climate change and development, people development. And you probably have gotten a sense already that I believe that that's a critical, we must marry people and climate and the environment and health into one question, as opposed to thinking of them as silos. And WRI does do that and has a reputation of deep research and really bringing people together to solve these very challenging global problems. And then I was a founder of a company called Social Finance, both in the US and in the UK. And there we're trying to use capital markets tools and finance and consulting tools to address the deep social challenges, both in the US and in the UK. Also, actually, there's a social finance in Holland as well as Israel. And it's a model that we think can have applicability around the world. And for me, being involved in these other organizations is really inspiring, particularly with the people I work with. They're so passionate about impact. I think the folks at Generation are as well. But when you make the decision to be part of the not-for-profit world, that to me is a, a huge commitment 
that I have great respect for. And so it's an honor to be part of those organizations. Yeah. And that's great that you're part of all of those. And so our final question is, you know, with all our guests with children, we ask them, this is the final question. Knowing what you know today about investing, economics, finance, this world of sustainability, maybe politics is involved there as well. What overall lessons have you given to your children about the world of money? And what lessons would you recommend for students today, especially considering students today, like sustainability is the top of the mind for social agendas and just the world going forward? You know, what overall lessons have you given to them or would you recommend? Well, I think the, it's a really important question, by the way, and I'm glad you asked everybody it. Good on you, as they say. I think I would urge folks, and I've urged my daughters, Alyssa and Alexis, is to whatever you do, be passionate about it and ensure that you're not checking your values at the door. It is critical to understand and be true to your beliefs. And I believe mission is critical, actually. And that's why I feel very blessed to be able to work in an organization like Generation where we can be both commercial and mission-driven, but mission matters. And it's really important you understand the impact you want to have, the urgency of that impact, and to stay true to it, no matter what you do. And if you can do that, if you can work in an organization that is consistent with your core values, then you're very blessed indeed. Yeah, and I think that's advice that applies to any industry, not just the financial industry. And with that, David, you know, we want to thank you for being a guest on this podcast, and we look forward to having you on in the future at some point. Well, thank you so much for thinking of me, and I hope it's been helpful. Hey, everyone. That was the end of part two of our two-part interview with David Blood on simplifying sustainable investing. We hope you enjoyed and learned more about sustainable investing from him. The entire conversation was amazing. Alex, what were some of the key takeaways from the second part? I thought it was interesting to hear Blood's discussion of pursuing and funding solutions in, quote, hard-to-abate industries, taking the more practical view versus engaging ideas that he calls, quote, silver bullets. Yep. And another key takeaway is that they will be more active owners of their portfolio companies and trying to help them drive good business outcomes through helping them achieve their sustainability goals. I think another important one is that while greenwashing exists, there are still companies that view sustainability as a valuable part of their business and not just a marketing idea. Agreed. Well, Alex, that wraps up our part two conversation and takeaways. We'll be taking a break, hopefully not too long of one, so that we can get adjusted to junior year. But once we've done that, we'll be back with more episodes. Again, feel free to reach out to us in the meantime. We're always open to suggestions, feedback, and just getting to know our audience. Talk to you guys soon. Hey guys, I want to thank you so much for listening to this episode of the podcast. It truly means the world to us. If you like this episode and others, let us know by subscribing and giving us five stars on Apple Podcasts and following us on Spotify. Share us with your friends and check us out on Instagram and Twitter, both at StreetFins. You can also follow me on Twitter at Rohan Invest. If you'd like to get in touch with us, please email fspodcast at streetfins.com. Thanks once again to David Blood for his insights today. I hope you understand the topic of sustainable investing in a more simplified way. This episode was produced by the incredible Jeffrey Lee. Once again, we're really happy that you're taking the initiative to learn finance and to better your future. If you haven't already, we highly encourage you to check out streetfins.com for articles, videos, and other content. Join the Streetfins community and tell your friends about us so that they can learn about finance too. We'll talk to you next time on Finance Simplified.